we are continuing and almost ending, as Pastor Tom said, our worship series on finding God in, through um, stories out of scripture and also in our own lives in kind of unexpected ways. And this morning, we are paying attention to how God is at work in surprise. And to do that, we're going to use the story of Sarah, found in Genesis 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 15. So people of God, listen then to the word of God. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Abraham said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me, let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and, and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Go do as you say. And so Abraham hurried. He hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayas of the finest flour, knead it, and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd, and he selected a choice tender calf. He gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, Abraham stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There, in, in the tent, Abraham said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. And so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? For is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. And so she lied and said, I, I did not laugh. And the Lord said, oh yes, oh yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The smell of freshly baked bread was still hanging around in the tent. There were used bowls piled off in a corner that still had little bits of dough stuck to them. 
And Sarah slowly lowered herself onto a stool near the front of the tent, trying to catch her breath (laughs) after Abraham's overdeveloped sense of hospitality had sent the whole place into a flurry of activity, including her. And Sarah let out a groan as her arthritic hands seized up after quickly kneading dough for the stranger's bread. And her back complained with pain, reminding her that her body did not like moving that quickly or standing up that long anymore. And she was just grateful that because of gender expectations, she didn't have to go stand outside under the tree with Abraham while the strangers feasted on the food she just made. And so she leans her head back, and she rubs her knuckles till she can stretch them out again. And she's kind of half listening to the voices outside the tent. Until she hears her name. Until she could make out Abraham's voice say, my Sarah? She's back there in the tent. Sarah was still getting used to this new name. Having been Sarai for nine decades, even God changing her name did not make it any easier to answer to. And most people that she knew, especially those who grew up with her, still called her Sarai. But these strangers did not use her old name. These strangers knew her new God-given one. So she sits up a little bit straighter, leans a little closer to the open flap of the tent, just in time to catch one of the strangers say, you know what, I'll be passing this way again about this time of year. And then your wife, Sarah, she'll have a son by then. Sarah snorted. I like to imagine that Sarah snorted. I snort when I laugh, especially when I'm deeply surprised by something. So I think she went, (laughs) okay. They must have really liked the bread that she made to offer such a pleasantry to her host, to their host, because if they could see her, they wouldn't say such a daft thing. One look at her gray hair and the liver spots on her hands, these strangers wouldn't need to learn that she hadn't bled in two decades to know that she was well past childbearing age. So she let out a laugh. She shook her head, thinking to herself, after I am worn out, after Abe is older than dirt, now is when we're going to need a crib? Come on. So Sarah starts to get up to clean the pile of dishes left over from the bread. When she's stopped in her tracks, when she hears the stranger speak again, this time just a little bit louder than before, why did Sarah laugh just now? Saying to herself that she's too worn out and too old to have a child. Is anything too hard for God? Sarah rose. Her mind raced. All of a sudden, these were no ordinary strangers interrupting her day. They knew her God-given name. They knew her thoughts. She was familiar with the conversations and the encounters that Abraham had with God enough to know that this must be another one of those. 
and she finds her voice again, and fear floods her body because she realizes she just maybe laughed at God's messenger, and maybe she just laughed right in God's own face. And she quickly tries to salvage the situation and make it a different story, and she's like, but I didn't laugh! And I imagine that lie hanging in the air for just a couple seconds, a couple beats, until an answer comes back and with a chuckle says, oh yeah, you did. Do you know that when we're surprised, when we are surprised by something unexpected, that we literally freeze for one twenty-fifth of a second. Our bodies, our minds operate on assuming so much of what is going around us. We, we kind of operate a lot on autopilot, right? If you had to think about breathing all the time, if you had to think about where the step was all the time, we couldn't function. So we, we just function on autopilot a lot of the time. But when we actually do experience something truly unexpected, something that we could not have anticipated, it basically shuts down our systems for a nanosecond. Neuroscientists describe what happens after this freeze, this 1 25th of a second freeze, as happening in two distinct stages. There's the find, and then there's the shift. When we are surprised, when we've encountered the unexpected and our systems are overloaded for a brief split second, all of our senses go into a hyper-focused form of attention just to make literal sense of what is happening to us. This is the find stage. It is deep curiosity. It is all hands on deck to figure out what just literally happened to us that we did not anticipate. Our heart rate elevates, adrenaline spikes, and the find is all about that intense curiosity and full attention to what's happening in this moment, this unexpected thing. So when we enter a dark room and the lights blaze on and people start shouting and running towards us, in that millisecond, we go from the freeze to the find, when our brain realizes, oh, 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 it's a surprise party, those are our friends, it is not people who have broken into our apartment running at us who are going to attack us. Okay, okay, got it, got it, got it, okay. And then comes the shift. After the freeze, that one moment where we're overloaded, after the find where we've discerned that, oh, this is a surprise party on the Tuesday before our birthday that we were not anticipating, then we need to shift to respond to this thing we did not anticipate. So, fun fact, when we're surprised, our emotions intensify 400%. So I think there are two kinds of people in the world, those who love surprise parties and those who hate them. Do you love a surprise party? Oh, there's like, okay, who hates a surprise party? Yes, okay, and a lot of you did not commit. You did not commit. There are those who love surprise parties. Jenny, I'm seeing you. And those who hate them with the heat of a thousand suns. Me. 
but our emotions intensify 400% when we're surprised. Which means if you love surprise parties, and you're truly delighted by this unexpected party in your honor, you are going to love it 400% more. And if you hate surprise parties, you are not just going to hate it, but you are going to hate it 400% more than a thousand burning suns. Please never throw me a surprise party. Whether we love the surprise or hate it, our lives must undergo a shift. Where we are changed where we respond to what we have just experienced, to what has just surprised us. Sarah's day was interrupted by a group of strangers that her husband welcomed in that she had to make bread for. But the unexpected, the surprise, did not disrupt her life until that moment when she heard the stranger say her own private thoughts aloud. And she froze. For a nanosecond, the freeze. And then her mind raced to figure out what was happening, the find. She worked out quickly that these were no ordinary strangers, could not be. There were no ordinary men outside her tent. And she had the brutal realization in that find stage that she had quite literally just laughed at God and then found out. And then the shift. When Sarah had to choose how to respond to this unexpected surprise in her life. To the presence of God outside her tent. To a promise of an impossible child. To being caught laughing in the face of God. Our lives are filled with surprises. Some are welcome ones. Like the moment when you're still getting to know someone and something happens, something mundane, it should not make you laugh as much as it does, but you both find yourself laughing to the point of tears together. And it is in that moment when you realize, oh, we're best friends now. <laughs> this is the moment where we become best friends. And then there are some surprises that are less welcome in our lives. Like when you walk in the door, coming home from work to find your spouse sitting at the kitchen table with a suitcase next to them. In our moments of surprise, whether good or bad, we freeze for a nanosecond. We try to make sense of what is happening with all of our senses, with our full attention. And then there's the shift as we figure out how to respond. And of all the ways to respond, all the ways to react to an unexpected surprise, I think Sarah chose what is most deeply human. <laughs> I get why she laughed. I get why she laughed at the idea of having a child in her old age. I get why she chuckled and snorted to herself. I get why when confronted with the unexpected presence of God outside her tent that she tries to save face and does what humans are really good at, trying to lie our way out of something. 
Because I think the promise of an impossible son felt too much like a joke played on an old and worn out woman who had long since put that dream to bed. And Sarah just flat out didn't believe it. She couldn't believe it. Because when we have grown accustomed to what we expect of the world around us, when we go on autopilot, assuming that the world is one way around us, the promises of God can strike us not as unexpected surprises, but as impossible jokes. Desmond Tutu was a black Anglican archbishop in South Africa. He fought against and he preached against the institutionalized white supremacy of his country. He knew what most people expected of the world around him. He knew what we do when we go on autopilot. More violence, more suffering, more death, more pain that there was no way forward, no way to fight injustice that didn't mean more of the same. Everyone knew what to expect. Everyone knew what was gonna happen. But Desmond Tutu witnessed to a different way of seeing the world. When a young black man was about to be necklaced for collaborating with the white government, necklacing was a particularly heinous form of punishment. When a person found to be helping out, collaborating with the white government, would have a gasoline-soaked tire forced onto their body and set on fire. Tutu intervened and rescued him, not because he was innocent, he wasn't, but because he refused to accept what the world was telling him to expect, that violence is overturned by more violence, that brutality is pushed back by more brutality. For Tutu, this wasn't just a lack of diplomacy, it wasn't a lack of vision, it wasn't even just a lack of imagination. It was a severe lack of faith in a God whose promises make us expect more than just more of the same. There was an improbable, an unexpected, and surprising peaceful transition of power to a democratic government, to voting, to representation. Not perfect, <laughs> still a work in progress, but an unexpected, peaceful transition of power. And during that time, they realized that all that pain and hurt had to go somewhere, and humans tend to push that violence and fear and pain forward. So Desmond Tutu chaired the Truth and Reconciliation Commission 
and they held space for the hurt and the oppressed to tell their stories, and they held space for the oppressor to confess their sins. And the panel held open the possibility of forgiveness and reconciliation, but did not expect it, could not mandate it, could not require it. They could just create space for it to happen. But when it did, these unexpected acts of forgiveness were powerful moments of surprise that broke down walls and that remade people. In contrast to a world that expected just more of the same, that believed that anything other than violence or pain was an impossible joke. Tutu never gave up hoping in a God of surprise who promises more than we expect, more than we hope, and more than we can imagine. He did not give up on that act of faith. When Tutu died at the end of last year, what was the thing that was remembered the most about him? Of all the amazing things that this man did, <laughs> of all that he saw, of all that he witnessed, of all that he did, you know what most of the articles and the eulogies started with? Has anyone heard Desmond Tutu laugh? If you haven't, one of your tasks today is to go home, go on YouTube, look up an interview with Desmond Tutu and wait for that man to laugh. For a man who had experienced such darkness, his quickness to laugh, a wholehearted, whole body, almost cackle of a laugh, the kind of laugh that is so contagious that others join in even though they do not know what was so funny, they did not hear the joke, but all they know is that they needed to join this man in his laughter. For him, this, this laugh, this ability to laugh, was a sign of his deep faith in a God who never ceased to surprise him, no matter how dark the world got around him. Laughter as an act of faith. For Sarah, a year passed since the day the strangers came to her tent. And just as God promised, God surprised her with an impossible child. And Sarah held that baby in her wrinkled arms, and she breathed in that sweet newborn scent and felt his little body held close to hers. And then Abraham told her the name of her son, of this impossible child, the name that God had given this impossible boy. His name is Laughter. It's Isaac. It means laughter. God placed laughter in her lap. An impossible joke turned into an unexpected surprise. She then knew the deep goodness 
of her God, who gifted her with more than she could imagine, more than she would ever have expected. And I think there was another shift for her. She responded to this surprise differently than before, not with a snort of derision or disbelief, but with a whole body laugh out of deep gratitude, sprinkled with a little self-deprecation. And she declared with laughter in her voice that God has given me laughter. And everyone who hears about this, they, oh, they're going to laugh with me. May we each find our surprise that makes us laugh like Sarah, remembering and trusting that our God is indeed a God of the unexpected, a God of more than we can imagine, a God of surprise. So when we have grown too accustomed to what we expect of the world around us, when we have been in autopilot a little too long, May we be surprised again by the goodness of God, the faithfulness of his promises. And may our laughter, when it comes, be a contagious act of faith in a God who quickens an old womb with new life, a God who turned an instrument of murder and death and torture into an instrument of life and rescue and salvation. And our God who gifted us with another impossible child, a king who was born in a manger, a crucified one who is now alive, and who is the very presence of God right outside our tent, waiting with a word of surprise. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our faithful God, we come before you this morning on this weekend, some of us with laughter that comes easily and others who can't even imagine even letting out a chuckle. But we all come before you with the same longing to be surprised, to be reminded of your goodness, to have you show up in our lives in unexpected ways. And so I ask that you surprise us out of our autopilot lives so that we can see you we can hear your voice and that we can hold truly to the question, is anything too hard for you? We ask all of this, raising up our lives, both the joy and the grief, the pain and, and the good surprises before you, knowing you are faithful in all things. In the name of Jesus, our impossible child, we pray. Amen.